I want to talk to you today about being redeemed from the curse. And I knew that excited you, so I'll say it again because I know it was just, it was just getting there. Redeemed from the curse. Yeah. Amen. And that's what Jesus has done. He's redeemed you from the curse. Yeah. And this is a profound thought that I want to share with you today. So let's look at Galatians 3.13. If you are in Christ Jesus today, the curse has no place in your life. Yeah. We've been redeemed. So let's read today Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. All right, here we go. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And everyone said, amen. amen. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for you and I. Whenever I read, read this scripture, I, it used to do my head in a bit because I couldn't quite understand what it fully meant. And I pray that it gets unpacked in a new way for you today. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For Jesus has become or became a curse for you. It's an amazing thought. It's, it's the concept of substitution. What belonged to you, Jesus took on himself. What was due to you, Jesus became. For it is written, cursed is every single man that is hung on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles. That's you and I today in Christ Jesus. So Jesus hung on the tree, the cross. He took your curse so that every blessing that belonged to Abraham would come to every single person on the planet that is in Christ Jesus. So today, if you're in Christ, if you are born again, then the blessings that were conferred upon Abraham are fully yours today. And the curse has been broken over your life. I don't care if your mother was cursed or your father was cursed or your grandfather was poor or sick or broke. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says you are a new creation, the oldest past and the new has come. You are in Christ Jesus. You are so in him that you can't be seen. And the Bible says that if you're in Christ, the curse that belonged to you, that was yours because you were born in sin, has been broken. And now you have the blessing that belonged to Abraham as the father of our faith. So the blessing of Abraham, verse 14, might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. The curse began at the tree. And that curse was sin, the curse of sin that leads to death, the curse of sickness, and the curse of poverty. They are the three curses that came upon Adam and Eve in the garden. And they began at the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where it began. The curse began at the tree. It was defeated on a tree, which is the cross. And it's established through a tree, which is your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? It began at a tree in the garden. It was destroyed on the tree, the cross. And it's established in your life through the tree of your belief in the work of Jesus Christ. Your tree is your belief system. So it began at a tree, destroyed on a tree, and is established through your tree. Jesus is the redeemer that legally has broken the curse. 
And what is really interesting is that Holy Spirit is our comforter. And the Aramaic word for comforter literally means the one that ends the curse. So Jesus broke the curse. And the moment you get born again, Holy Spirit comes inside you. And he is on a mission to break and destroy any remnant of the curse in your life. Did you hear that? Holy Spirit is on a mission to break poverty, sickness, and sin in your life. He is the curse buster. That's his job. Now, a lot of Christians fight against the work of the Holy Spirit. They've embraced poverty and sickness and sin as a lifestyle, but God is here today to let you know the Holy Spirit is here right now to enforce the work of Jesus and break any sign of poverty, sickness, and sin. I prophesy by the Spirit of God that there is a company of believers arising before Jesus returns and there will be no sign of poverty, sickness, or sin in their life. They will be overcomers in all areas. Isn't that exciting? So the curse, as I said, began at the tree. And we're going to do a little bit of teaching here today because I want you to understand the effects of the curse and how it's broken. It began at a tree in the garden. As I said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree was all about this, that Adam wanted the right to self-govern his life. He wanted to say and call what he thought was right and wrong, not God. He wanted to take ownership of his life. And because he rebelled against the leadership of Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, because he wanted to rule his own life, that created a doorway for the curse, the cursed lifestyle to come in. See, there's nothing about God, nothing about the garden that God created that even slightly resembles the curse. There was no sickness in the garden. Amen? Amen. Adam didn't have a bung leg and a crook heart. Adam wasn't broke. He wasn't stressed out about, about where the next meal was coming from. You know, he wasn't taking tablets for his anxiety. He wasn't worried. He wasn't battling with sin. He was free. There's no sign or trace or resemblance of the curse in the Father and what God designs for our life. So it entered because of man. So the first curse is this. It's the curse of sin. And that entered the day Adam decided that he would rule his life. And the effects of sin entered through one man and now that, now that, that it entered through Adam, it's now in the life of every single person born on the planet. We don't have to be taught how to sin. It's our nature when we're born to sin. So in Genesis 2.12, God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And we know as we read scripture that Adam ate of that tree and he died spiritually. He didn't die physically on that day. But something shifted in his life. You and I probably, we don't have really any understanding of the shift that occurred the day Adam ate of that fruit. Imagine being connected to the life of God spiritually and then eating of the fruit, deciding that you'll run your own life. And all of a sudden, the full effects of the curse, which is rebellion against God and its effects, came upon Adam and Eve. Not only did the curse come, but... Think about this. The devil became Adam and Eve's spiritual father. 
His nature now resided in Adam and Eve. See, this is the thing. Before you're born again, the nature of the devil lives inside you. You go, really? Yeah, really. And that's why when you get born again, it's not a matter of changing your behavior. It's a matter of being changed in your nature. So sin came in and the very nature of Satan came in. And we see that because the moment they're driven out of the garden, they begin to murder, cheat, steal, side with the devil. All this fallen nature begins to be expressed in their life. Romans 5.12 says, Through one man, this is Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so sin is spread, so death is spread to all men. So this explains to us why it's not a matter of changing your conduct. See, that's religion. People come to church and they think if I put a tip in the offering and sing a few songs and try not to swear during the week and you know, look Christian enough, then that's okay. You've totally missed the point. God doesn't want to change your behavior. He wants to change your nature. He wants to make you a new creation. You see, you can dress me up in a footy jumper, put a mouth guard in my mouth. You can put on footy shoes and footy socks on me, but it doesn't make me an AFL footballer. You'd have to change my nature. I'd have to be born again and come back with the spirit of Michael Voss for those that follow Brisbane. Man is lost today not because of what he does, it's because of who he is. That's why we're fallen. It's not about what we do, it's about who we are. And religion and even Christianity at times is so obsessed with externals rather than internals. God says, I'll come and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll put a new heart in you. It's the inward work. The kingdom of God begins inside us and flows out. And so much of the church is behavior modification. We want to change how people look and what they say and all these external things, not understanding that God comes to change our heart. He wants to come and live inside us. He wants to make us a new creation. So we see at the... At the cross, the sin nature that was ours was put upon Jesus. He became our substitute. He removed the curse by bearing its penalty. So all the blessings of Abraham would be ours. Make no mistake, the price that Jesus paid for your sin was once and for all. He paid it once on the cross and it covered every single person. And the moment you ask Jesus into your life, you are eternally forgiven. Hebrews 10 verse 14 says there's one sacrifice and we've been through that one sacrifice, you are made perfect forever. Amen. Are you getting this? Yeah. Yes. Nothing standing between you and God. In fact, it says in Ephesians, we are in the Son and we are accepted we are in the beloved son. The moment you are born again, you are forgiven, you are clean, you are saved, you are forgiven, you are righteous, you take his, on his nature, you are a son and daughter of God. Amen. The curse came to, to, and it put sin in my life. It caused me to, to have this sense of separation and being alienated from God. This is really important you get this because there's much of the remnants of the curse still in the body of Christ today, whether it's sickness, whether it's sin, whether it's poverty. 
And we need not only to understand the work of the tree, which is the cross, but we then need to build a tree in our life, which is a new belief system that is established on the completed work of the cross. For many Christians embrace a half-hearted, watered-down, lukewarm gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news. In fact, it's way better than what you thought. That if any man or woman is in Christ, everything that was of the past is broken and all things have become new. This is the gospel, no condemnation. Here's the truth. And this is what people don't like to hear. You could sin for the rest of your life and you still wouldn't be condemned. I advise you not to do that because there are, there are wages of sin. There are effects of sin. But we need to understand that you are eternally forgiven. Now God will, through the Holy Spirit, will spend the rest of your life transforming you into the image of, of the Son. But he will do that in your life as a, an established and secure son and daughter of God. Let me make no bones about it. You can never be transformed and changed when you're insecure, when you're wondering whether you're saved or not saved, when you're wondering whether God's happy or not. The first thing the Holy Ghost does is establish a sense of deep found security and intimacy that I belong. And you may be a naughty son and daughter, but you're still a son and daughter of God. And I come against this insecurity that the body of Christ Pause on the people of God that says you're unforgiven, you keep short accounts with God, you don't know whether you're saved or not saved, my friend. When you ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, by faith you put your faith in him and his work of substitution. That he became sin so you don't have to take on sin. He broke the sin in your life by the work of the cross. And you take on his work and you say, Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross on my behalf. I accept that you became my penalty. You took on sin where it should have been me. You died in my place so I may live forever. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are eternally forgiven. For by one sacrifice, you've been made perfect forever. Now that word perfect doesn't mean that you're maturing God and all your, all your foibles are being changed. What it means is, Made perfect forever means that you can't be any more a son or a daughter of God. So you, you come into the kingdom as a brand new baby. So when you're born as a baby, you can't get any more human. You don't evolve into a greater form of humanity. You evolve into a greater form of maturity. You become a baby, then John writes, then a son, a child, and then a young man. And then a father, there's progressive walks that we have with God. But you do that as a secure son and daughter. And as I was preparing, I don't know why the Holy Spirit got me to focus on this in the curse of sin. But I sense in my heart that still there are people here today that are hearing my voice, that the devil is playing with you, that you constantly, there's this sense of insecurity. And God wants you to know today that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That you are a son and daughter of God. Sin doesn't, I was going to say it doesn't bother God. It does bother him, but sin doesn't hinder his work. So many people think that if I sin, that I've got to get rid of my sin before God will come. All the best, Charlie. That's what got you into the mess. Remember? And so the whole thing is God comes to us in our sin. I thought sin was like the stemper and God was like going to put on a, you know, the virus they're going to put on a mask and like, when you get your life together, call me and I'll come back. 
No, that's, that was the problem. I couldn't get my life together, so I had to call you to save me. Yeah. Sin doesn't, doesn't stop God approaching you. And that's why I, I preach many times here. That on the cross, when Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? The whole church, it seems, has taken that scripture so out of context. And they teach that Jesus was on the cross bearing your sin and the father couldn't look at sin so he went and hid in the corner until the whole grave thing was over and done with because sin is kryptonite and the father is superman and, and it's just his Achilles heel. He can't be around sin. What a load of nonsense. Yeah. The holy God couldn't look on sin. Well, read Psalm 22 verse 24. It literally is an interpretation of truly what was taking place at the cross. For the father said to the son, I have heard your cry and I have not turned my face from you. Yeah, that Psalm 22 is a whole psalm of the crucifixion. So why did Jesus cry that out? Because that's what sin does to us. He was crying out on behalf of mankind because when we sin, we feel like the father has turned his back on us. But the truth is, Psalm 22 says, I have heard your cry and I've not turned my face. I have proof of that because when Adam sinned in the garden, God didn't say, oh, right, Adam, you've sinned. Now go and find some animals, kill them. And, and cover yourself. And when you've done that, oh, come. No, God provided the covering for Adam. Yeah. God came looking for Adam. Yeah. And when you sing, God's coming looking to you. He's coming after you to restore you, to help you, to nurture you. Yeah. <sighs> Give the Lord a hand. See, the curse leaves remnants of insecurity, condemnation, separation, anxiety. I believe the church has got separation anxiety. And no wonder with all the, a bit of refrain, no wonder because there are so many books and teachings that cause people to be so anxious about where they're at. I'll give you a tip. The gospel is simple. If you read a book, you hear a teaching, and it's so complex. I read books and I, and I say, God, if I can't understand what they're talking about. It's so complex. I can't live this way. I need it to be simple. And he says, it is simple, Andrew. It is simple. Yeah. Amen. Whenever you get confused, think about yourself and how great a father you are and the way you relate to your children. And that will give you insight to the way that I think and feel. We're set free from the curse of sin. And you'll never be totally set free from the remnants of the curse of sin until you truly understand what forgiveness is about. So are you ready? Yeah. All right. Turn with me to Matthew 6, 12. Now, if you've never been taught this before, please don't get angry. When I first started to learn about grace and righteousness, I got angry. In fact, I'll be really honest, because I've been brought up in church since I was about two days old. And um, I've had a steady diet of both grace and law. And Jesus said, I would have you hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And so we think oh, that means that we need to be either on fire or not on fire. I think what Jesus was saying Either embrace the law in its entirety or grace is in its entirety. But if you mix the two together, I'll vomit you out, out of my mouth because I can't do anything with that. So Jesus preached the law on steroids 
to those that were religious and grace on steroids to those that were broken. So, so many Christians, they come to the Bible and they don't know how to read it. They don't know how to interpret it. They think that everything in the Bible is meant for them. And I'll give you a tip. Not everything in the Bible is meant for you. Did you know that? Yeah. And this is not, this is not weird. This is, this is true. Matthew 6, 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is an issue around debt. A lot of Christians don't know that. Forgiveness is a debt issue. You had a debt that you couldn't pay. I had a debt I couldn't pay. There's a song about that. I needed someone to wash away my sin. It's an old song and it's so true. They sang the song but they didn't understand what it meant. Forgiveness is a debt issue. You had a debt outstanding that you could never pay. Jesus tells a parable about that. Impossible to pay. And so only, the only payment that could... And so that's what we see in the Old Testament. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And it would, it would appease God's wrath for a year. And then back the same sacrifice. Why? The Holy Spirit was showing that while there was, while the sacrifice wasn't greater than the judgment, it was always repeated. And so Jesus' sacrifice was greater than the judgment and God's wrath was appeased against sin. That's why on the cross, Jesus uttered this word, it is finished. Many of you know that word literally means Paid in full. It's a, it's a term used when, a re, when there was a... Uh, uh, it was written across, across a receipt when the debt was paid in full, like paid in full on a receipt. So you, you, you bring a... Uh, you you want to buy something and you pay it in full. You put a deposit down and you come back and you pay the remaining and you get a receipt. So you know that there's nothing outstanding. So if you go back the next day and you've paid the debt and you want to pay more, they'll think you're crazy. But the church lives like that. We continue to pay a debt that's already been paid. We come before the Lord and say, Lord, about that debt again. Um, I grew up like this. Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. In fact, most of my prayers were forgive me, probably 50 times. It was a Pentecostal version of Catholicism. If they could whip themselves, I would just say, forgive me. And, and, and I'd keep saying that till I felt I'd, my heart was remorseful enough that I'd appease God and said, all right, I'll give you one more chance, but don't do it again. And then I'd be back the next day. Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. In fact, they should have written songs called Forgive Me. It would have been great here because it was something we were singing all week. So sin conscious rather than Jesus conscious. Or be careful, Andrew. They told me, don't preach that. There'll be an outbreak of sin in your church. There was an outbreak of victory and overcoming in our church. That's what grace does. Grace teaches us not to sin. It's our love relationship with God being fully accepted that empowers me to overcome. If I think God's ticked off with me when I sin, I'll run away from him rather than to him. And victory is only in his presence. That's why Moses, when he came out of the presence of the Father, had to put a, put a, a, a thing over his face. 
Because he didn't want the Israelites to realize that the, the glory was fading because there's no victory without the presence of God. And as soon as you come out of that presence, see, that's why Moses took the commands because in the presence of God, the commands are doable. As soon as you get out of the presence of God, you're on your own. And so it, it tells us that if we're going to live overcoming victorious lives, we've got to be in the presence of God and secure. His love surrounds us even in our sin. I know this is going to sound really outlandish. I even told people in their deepest, darkest sin. I, I said, when, when you're in the midst, and, and, and I was just saying, please don't sin. Don't sin because it's, it's horrendous. But if you do sin, I want you to say this, in the midst of your sin, when you feel like, yuck, you've all felt like that, haven't you? You've done something so horrendous. Oh, come on. <laughs> Has no one ever sinned in this place? Has anyone sinned? Okay, think of the doozy, right? The one that really kept you up at night. The one that even the devil reminds you of every now and again. He's an accuser who was cast out from heaven way before you came. So now he doesn't accuse us before God. He, accuses, he condemns our heart before God. He says, you're unworthy. Father can't be around you. Look at you. You're hopeless. He's given up on you. That's funny because the Bible says, never will I leave you or forsake you. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. The devil's a liar. I told you what to do with the devil. Every time he whispers in your ear, reverse it 180 degrees and you've got the truth. Because he's the father of lies and there's no truth in him. He does you a favor. He's a compulsive liar. So if you want the truth, reverse what he says and you've got the truth. So he says, Keith, you're hopeless. There's no future. And you say, thank you, devil, for that. Because that means I've got hope and there's a great future for me. Isn't that amazing? He does you a favour. He really does. He's good for something, isn't he? This is what you need to say. Are you ready? I am, say with me, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because the righteousness that you have is not yours. It's not about your behaviour, it's about his behaviour. God is looking at, he only asks two things, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And when he looks at you, he does, he's not looking at you, he's looking at Christ in you. You are covered in Christ. One John says that his blood continually is washing us and cleansing us from sin. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. So he's standing before the Father and saying about you and I, see people get worked up about Satan accusing you. Don't worry about that. Because Jesus' voice always drowns out the devil's. And Jesus is saying to the Father, remember the blood. Remember my sacrifice on their behalf. Don't get worked up at what Satan's saying. Jesus' voice is more powerful in heaven than the voice of that hairy critter. Forgiveness is a debt issue. So when you're in your deepest sin, I've tried this. Thank you, Father. Even though I've failed... You see me as righteous, pure, and holy. Yeah. I told people to do that that were in addictive yeah. lifestyle patterns. Yeah. I mean things that would curl your, your hair if you had hair. <laughs> and do you know what? In that place of brokenness and pain, they began to decree who they were in the eyes of God, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. they were set free. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is not an invitation to stay in your sin. This is an invitation to come to the heart of God and be delivered from your sin. The curse has been broken and you are free from sin. Forgiveness is a payment of a debt owed. And as I said, Jesus on the cross cried out, it is finished, the debt is paid. It's what Jesus wanted you to hear on the cross. There is no more payment for your sin. It's done. Paid in full. Colossians 2.14 says, listen to this, that Jesus has cancelled out the certificate of debt. Your debt. He said, paid in full. It, it consisted of decrees against us that were hostile to us. In other words, there were all these accusations about you that you couldn't deal with. Andrew McGrath, sinner champion number one. Did this, did that, did that. And uh, it was hostile against me. It, it put me into a corner. I had to agree and say, yes, guilty as charged. And Paul says that Jesus took that accusation against my life from the beginning of my life to the end. Remember, the payment of Jesus was once for all. He paid for your sins before you were even born. So he paid for my sins to yesterday, today and forever. Why? Because Jesus is the eternal God who lives in all places of time. Yesterday, today and forever the same. So the sin payment wasn't just for today. It was yesterday, today and forever. So when I received his payment of, for my sin, it was payment for yesterday, today and forever. Amen. It's for the sins I have committed, am committing and will commit. They were all paid in full. Well, I don't know about that, brother. Well, you need to understand the nature of God. God's not one-dimensional. In fact, when he died on the cross, all your sins were future. Weren't they? Were you there at the cross? No. He is the eternal God that covers our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west. Holy Spirit says, that never will your sins be held against you. He testifies to us. He nailed them to the cross. Everything. So all your accusations against you, all your debt was nailed to the cross. So you don't have it. It was buried at the cross. It was taken to the cross. The devil has no grounds to accuse you. And if he comes against you, you say that accusation, which was true, was taken by Jesus and nailed to the cross. And when he died, I died with him. And so that, that person that you're accused actually doesn't exist anymore. Because in the mind of God, it wasn't Jesus that hung on the cross. It was you and I. And that old man was put to death. So all the sins that I ever will and, and, and have committed... All that, my, my whole fallen nature was put away at the cross. Yeah. I don't live anymore. There's a new form of me. Yeah. Are you getting this? Yeah. But so many believers are asking, God, please pay the debt. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. The moment you're born again, you are eternally forgiven. Ouch. It's true. We have an eternal God 
He's eternally forgiven us and made us eternal. To understand forgiveness requires an understanding of grace and the law. The Bible says that Jesus lived under the law. Now, this is where most Christians fail to understand or haven't been taught properly. Jesus came, Galatians chapter 4, if you're taking notes, verse 4 to 5 says that Jesus was one who lived under the law. He was in the crossroads between the old and the new covenant. He was the bridge between the two covenants. Do you understand that? The Gospels are not the New Covenant. Do you understand that? The New Covenant doesn't begin in the Gospels. In fact, it begins at the end of the Gospels leading to Acts. But most of the readings and the recordings and the red letters of Jesus are in the transition between the Old and the New Covenant. So to those that lived under the law, Jesus preached the law of Moses. The Bible says, so that every mouth, and the Jews had religious mouths. They they were the most religious people of the lot. So Jesus finished by preaching to the scribes and the Pharisees, those that had the best behavior, those that were so proud of the flesh. And so Jesus, Romans 3.19 says, he preached the law to them to silence every mouth and so that the whole world will be held accountable to God. So let me say this, that everything that Jesus said in the Gospels is true. Amen? Amen. But not everything he said in the Gospels was meant for you. So we have to filter these things through the work of the cross. And that's why I say to people, even with the whole thing of forgiveness, use your brains. Think about it. I'm going to do some teaching in a minute, but think about the Apostle Paul. Not once does he ever ask you, as a believer, to ask Jesus to forgive you. I know the Apostle John in 1 John talks about forgiveness, but the context is not to believers, and I can preach another message on that. It's to unbelievers. Because forgiveness is about a debt being paid. And every time you are asking Jesus to forgive you, ask him to repay the debt that was paid at the cross. And he's not coming back to die on the cross again. He's made that pretty clear. By one sacrifice, you've been made perfect forever. And the curse in the garden was a curse of sin that led us to living lives that feel like we're in, out, in favor, out of favor. God's pleased, he's not pleased. So very quickly before we finish. Before the cross... It was written, so in the, in the writings of Jesus, forgive and you will be forgiven. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? After the cross, it's forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Can you see the difference? Before the cross, you forgive and you'll be forgiven. After the cross is forgive now as Christ has forgiven you. Under the old covenant, forgiveness begins with me. It's up to me. I've got to initiate it. That's the old covenant. Forgiveness starts with me. Under the new covenant, forgiveness begins with God. Everyone said? Amen. Do you see the difference? Matthew 6.14 says, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your Father will forgive you also. 
But if you, if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, the, so if we embrace that teaching as believers in Christ Jesus, we're saying that my forgiveness depends on my ability to forgive other people. Really? Your forgiveness depends on your ability to forgive other people. That sounds like the law on steroids. That like, sounds like if I get my life right and I, if I nail this forgiveness thing, then God will forgive me. All the best. I need God to forgive me. I need to come into his heart and receive his love so I am able to forgive other people. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to this. In accordance or to the measure of the riches of God's grace. Did you get that? Listen. In Christ we are redeemed through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Not according to your ability to forgive other people. Your forgiveness is based on the riches of of his grace and forgiveness to you, not on your ability to forgive other people. So we hear this teaching that says, if you don't forgive, then all of heaven is shut and the Father is angry and he's not going to forgive you. And I say, hmm, so are you saying to me, because here's the thing, those preachers never, never take it to its final conclusion. They don't like to do it. So I like to go in their face and say, so you're saying to me, that if I don't forgive someone, say I'm struggling, someone's hurt me, and I have some unforgiveness in my heart, which we all do at times. So you're saying to me that the Father won't forgive me. So you're saying that, what? So that, does that mean I'm not saved anymore? Does that mean that he's not going to talk to me anymore? Does that mean that he's blessing in favours that I'm... What, what's the conclusion? So you're saying if I don't forgive enough that eventually I'll be booted out? They don't like to talk about that. No. That's not the gospel. That's not, Jesus wasn't teaching that so you would obey that. He was doing that so the disciples would say, then I cannot do that. I can't forgive. It's not in my nature. And if, if God is waiting for me to forgive before he'll forgive me, then it's all over. I can't do it. And Jesus would say, finally. That's the object of the law, to make it so impossible that you have to say this one word that God's listening for. Help! That's the whole point of the Gospels, that man would say, I need a saviour. So we keep pulling out this rubbish about God and his heart of anger and he get your life right before I'll talk to you. So Jesus tells a parable, We're almost finished. Matthew 18, 21. Is this helping anyone today? Yeah. Listen to this. If you get a chance to read Matthew 18, 21 to 35, I encourage you to read it today and take some notes now because I'm going to give you a few points that unpack this unusual parable that people use to reinforce this notion that God is an unforgiving God and he will not forgive you until you Deal with your issues. So whether it's unforgiveness, it's the same thing. If it's unforgiveness, because unforgiveness is not the unforgivable sin, is it? So it's all the issues. It's unforgiveness. There's all these other issues in our heart. It's the same, it's the same thing. 
that we, we've got to allow God first to minister to our heart before it can flow to others. In this parable, listen to this. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. How many people have read the parable of the unforgiving servant? Has anyone read it? Most people? It's a parable, just to paraphrase it, of a man that was a servant forgiven of so much. His debt was way more than he could pay. He goes to the master. He begs for forgiveness. The master has compassion on him and says, you are forgiven this amazing debt. He immediately leaves. And see, Jesus gives us little clues. He leaves the father's house too quickly. He's forgiven, but he hasn't been restored to the heart of the father's love. He gets forgiven. He goes out. And here's the thing. Whenever you go out to a needy world, someone's going to make a demand on you. Someone's going to be unkind, unfair. Someone's going to cause you to be angry. And he goes out and he sees someone with such a little debt owed to him. And he, want, he demands that, that that is paid. See, that's what happens when you don't stay in the presence of God. You, you have a love deficit. And so you need to draw from other people rather than releasing other people from their debt. Think about it. And so that man comes to him with a little debt. He won't forgive him. And so everyone hears about it. They go back and tell the master, look what he did. You forgave him so much. And now he, see, that's what religion does. Religion gives God a bad name because people say they're forgiven. They know God, but they've never spent time in his presence. And they go out into the world and live ugly lives. And they say, look what he's done. You forgave him all. So he grabs that man and he throws him into what? A prison. Galatians says the whole world is held in a prison. It's a picture of the law. Where did John the Baptist end up? In prison. John is the one who is the last prophet of the law. Jesus can't establish the gospel of the kingdom until John is locked away in prison. Are you getting it? Christ is the end of the law. And so this whole parable is talking about what happens when you come to God and don't have a heart renovation, you end up in prison. You end up a religious Pharisee. That was good news. So a couple of things about this parable. And then we're done. Forgiveness must be received before it can be given. That's what this parable is teaching. You've got to receive forgiveness before you can give it. Yes? Number two. Forgiveness restores relationship. Love grows the relationship. So forgiven, forgiveness restores your So I'm forgiven. I'm now loved by God. I'm now a son and daughter of God. But I must stay in his presence because it's the love nature of the Father, me conversing with him, that builds a relationship. See, that man, he didn't stay. He, he too quick to leave the king's house. So he got the forgiveness he got that from God, but he didn't receive the heart change. He didn't receive his love. So he goes out to a world. See, if you have a problem with unforgiveness, the issue is this, that you just need to turn around and go back to Father's heart and say, Father, would you love me again? Yeah. Rather than get so worked up about it, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. God's not angry. He's saying, come back. You haven't spent long enough with me. Unforgiveness is a sign to us that we haven't been established in love. Are you getting this? So we come back to him. Father, you paid the debt. That means I, that because the debt's paid, I have the right to come back anytime I like, no matter what I've done, and the door is always open. 
Are you hearing this? No matter what I've done, forgiveness tells me from the Father, I'm welcome home. And I've got to come back. I said, Lord, I've, I've been out today. I drove the car. I stuck my finger up at someone walking past. I, I shouted at him. Not, I don't do that, but you know, I'm saying that you would say that to the Father. Because I'm far more mature than you. I've, yelled, I've bit my horn because my wife was late getting out. And I said, hurry, I'm in a hurry to go to church. Get out. Right. And I had to remind myself I'm preaching today. <laughs> Father, I've done all these crazy things. And Lord, I'm coming back to you because I know the door's always open. And I feel like, Lord, there's been a drain on my love nature. And so when people make a demand, I'm acting in an unforgiving way because now there's an emptiness and they're, they're making a demand on me and I've got nothing to give. Yeah. That's the debt is someone makes a demand on your love and there's no love. And so unforgiveness comes when there's a demand greater than the source within you. Yeah. So I come back and say, Father, fill my heart with your love because I am angry, I am nasty and I'm not a nice person. And we all have those days. Come back. The servant received forgiveness, but he didn't stay for love. And therefore, he could not forgive. So the master was angry and he put him in prison to be tortured until he should pay all that was due to him. Here's a question. How much debt can you repay when you're in prison? It's a funny story, isn't it? Right, go to prison. Put him in shackles. Put something around his neck. Blindfold him. And by the way, you've got a million dollars to pay off. Oh, can I have a computer with that? Can I do some share trading on it? No, no. Tie his hands up. He put you in prison so you would come the end of, to your, of your senses. That's what the law is. He ramps it up until you say, I can't do it. I need help. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So I come back. I say, God, I can't do it. I'm so unforgiving. I'm so angry. I'm so nasty. I'm, I, I, I'm all these things. He says, come, come on, come on. Come back home. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm feeling insecure. I don't know if, you'll, if, if you really have forgiven me. Are you angry? He says, no, come back. The debt was paid in full. The door is always open, Andrew. No matter what you've done, you're, you're free to come in. So I come in. I say, Lord, I am empty. I am angry. I can't forgive. And he says, well, you better forgive because if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you know you're forgiven. You know that. That's not the issue now. The issue is that you need my love. Let me fill you up inside. And then I get an injection of love. I go to the praise night. I go to the prayer meeting. I sit before the Lord and soak in his presence. And all of a sudden, my gas tank's gone from empty to super full. And I walk out and I find some ugly people and I just wave at them. They cut me off. They, they get in line in the supermarket and I take my spot. They grab the special before I can grab it. And I say, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Have some of my love. The curse is broken of sin and death. The curse is broken over our life. We are free now. All the remnants that came out of that brokenness of the garden of sin 
It's broken over our life and we are free. So I'm forgiven. I come into his presence and I receive his love. I pray that there'll be no remnant of the curse of sin over your life. He broke the curse of sin, sickness and poverty. For those today that you've been struggling with sin in your life and the devil has accused you, always come to you and he said, look at your past. He keeps reminding you that you were this, you were that, you were this and you were that. You say to the devil, it's right. But all that long list of requirements against me, all, that, all the things I failed to do, Jesus took that nail to the cross. And he yelled over my life, it is finished. It's paid in full. You have no right to accuse me anymore. So I stand before you, Satan. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Then the religious people added in, according to those that walk in the spirit, not the flesh. But that's not the truth. The truth is, if you're in Christ Jesus... It doesn't matter about your behavior. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Who can lay a charge against God's elect? It is Jesus that justified. And so I say to Satan, you may be right in what you say about me, but you're wrong with your conclusion. You may be right saying that my life is out of control and there's some sin habits that nobody knows about, but your conclusion about Father and His love for me is totally wrong. You don't get it you're an orphan and he's my father and my father sings over me song of solomon says i may be dark but i'm lovely he sings over me i may be struggling in my faith but it's his love for me his unconditional love for me that's going to bring me from my brokenness into wholeness and so i'm welcome there is no curse over my life no curse of separation no anxiety because he loves me and he has forgiven me So my prayer for you today is to embrace the entirety of Jesus' forgiveness over your life. You are forgiven. And I say even the things that you've done that you are, quote, quote, ashamed of, you are totally forgiven. He says, I will never, ever remember your sins again. They are totally erased from my memory and only God can do that and that's why Paul says that we need to forgive one another because we do not have the capacity for unconditional forgiveness and to remove the memories of what other people do only God can do that God has this supernatural ability because he's God to be able to do that he does not know what you're talking about he sees you totally in the sun and we need to stop looking at our lives as if we live Apart from the Son, you are in the Son, in the Beloved. He says you are holy, clean, forgiven, pure. The curse of sin and all of its effects over your life is totally eradicated the moment you get born again. He cannot accuse you. He cannot accuse you. You are totally forgiven. And now He calls you as a son and daughter to come into His love heart and be restored, be made whole, and be the answer to a debt-ridden world that needs your love. So lift up your hands with me today. Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus is our Redeemer, 
the one that has redeemed us from the curse of sin, sickness, and poverty. We thank you for your unconditional forgiveness. Only you could do that. It is way beyond what we could even imagine. I can't conceive how you could forgive me when I've done so many things that are so wrong. I've hurt so many people. I've done crazy things. Only you could cleanse me and make me whole. And I worship you for that, that you would wash me and cleanse me and make me perfect. And so because of that, we all, we all as washed people, we come into your presence and we say, Lord, would you fill us with your love and eradicate any, any sign or resemblance of the curse of sin in our life. Cause us to be overcomers of sin. Cause us to be victorious. Cause us to walk in the fullness of our righteousness. And I just want to give people an opportunity today. If, if you're here today, and just if you, everyone will put their hands down. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure today whether you're a child of God, if you would like to be forgiven, if you would desire today to receive the love of the Father, I want to quickly pray for you. And if that's you, just raise your hand and I'll pray for you where you sit. Is there anyone here today? Just lift up your hand nice and high. I won't embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. Yes, thank you. Is there somebody else that you say, yeah, that's me. I feel, if you feel a stirring in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. If you don't know today that you are a child of God, lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. You can put your hands down. Father, we thank you today for the response of hearts towards you. You said, Lord, if we believe in our heart and confess you with our mouth, we would be saved. And so we join with those that have lifted up their hands and we say, Lord Jesus, we believe in you. And you can just say that quietly where you sit. We believe in you. We believe in your work of substitution. You died on our behalf. And this day we confess that you are our Lord and Saviour. We ask you to come into our hearts and make us a new creation. We receive your forgiveness of all our sin. And I ask now by the work of your Spirit that you would come and regenerate their hearts and make them a new creation. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Why don't we give the Lord a hand today? Thank you. Come on, give him a big, big hand. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you, Lord. Come on. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Amen.